Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The countdown to college football is on. Three weeks from tomorrow, Utah and Weber State kick it off. And they actually aren't the first to open the season. There's a few of those week zero games. So we're getting really close to the start of things here. The uh, preseason poll is out for the coaches poll. And it's who you expect at the top. Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Oklahoma 3, Ohio State 4. So predictable. <laughs> so unbelievably, unbearably predictable. For the Pac-12, for the Pac-12, Oregon at number 12 is the highest ranked Pac-12 team. USC at 14, Washington at 21. Uh, others receiving votes, the first three teams out of the poll are Utah, Northwestern, and Arizona State. So two of the three are Pac-12 teams. So very close to having fourth and fifth teams ranked. And the next three are Auburn, Liberty, and BYU. So for the Cougars, beat Arizona, and you should be playing Utah for a spot in the top 25. Just start 2-0. And, and then uh, well, and then you get Arizona State. So it's on. BYU, you got a chance to vault right in there. All right, we'll have more on this coming up later. We're going to do a little uh, – talk a little basketball right now. One of the new jazz men who uh, had his press conference on Monday is Eric Pascal. He was – Childhood friend, played AAU ball with Donovan Mitchell, went to the Warriors, made the all-rookie team, but the Warriors uh, traded his rather minuscule salary, but with the repeater luxury tax, it was going to cost him like $12 million to keep him. So for a protected second-round pick, (laughs) how about that? A protected second-round pick, the Jazz get Donovan Mitchell's childhood friend. Here he is, and he spent a little time around the team and tell you all about it. Here he is with the media on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I want to start at the very beginning and just kind of ask you about that experience being on the city AAU team with Donovan back when you were, what was it, 13, 14 years old and kind of what that experience was like and, and kind of how you guys built a connection then. Uh, I would say we built the connection strictly because, I mean, we, we grew up probably 500 feet away from each other and went to the same church. And then when we started actually playing AAU together I walked into a AAU tryout and he was there and we're some from the same area so again like being being able to play with him now is a great experience I mean we our families put a lot into each other I mean my my dad used to drive him down his his parents used to drive me down so it's like we we went through this together and now that we're both here it's a it's a big blessing so that's how that connection has been built Right next up, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Eric, um, I'm just wondering kind of what the reaction between the two of you were when you found out that you were going to be signing with the Jazz. Did you, the, who called who, what was that conversation like between you and Donovan? Uh, I mean, we were both pretty excited. I mean, uh, it's funny because we, we have the same agent. So, uh, that's that's part of the connection too. Is just I, I signed with his agent and uh, Todd's done a good job with the both of us. I feel like so. Um, again, he he called me and said, "Us, it's you're getting traded to the Jazz, and we're both pretty happy." So, Ryan Miller, KSL, next. Hey, Eric, could you kind of just take us through um, how you learned about the trade and kind of what your initial thoughts were about the team fit? Um. I learned it. I learned about it slowly. I mean, uh, obviously there was the rumor going out, but I didn't know uh, if it was really going to happen. And then uh, again, I 
my agent called me and was like, look, we, we about to get traded. So uh, I was pretty happy. Um, I feel like I'll fit. Uh, I've had a few good conversations with uh, Coach Snyder. So um, I feel like uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work, and I'm, I'm excited for the new start. Jim Conlon, RCB Radio Sport out of Ireland. Uh, hi, Eric. Uh, Eric, you go from the Golden State Warriors where there was plenty of competition in a locker room with Steph and Draymond. You go now to the Utah Jazz and uh, on a day where Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside and obviously Mike Conley the same day are signing on for the Jazz. It's competition at another level again. Do you feel really motivated? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, uh, in my career, nothing's. I would say nothing's been easy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for a new, new start and, uh, excited to compete uh, with those guys. So again, it's, it's a journey and, uh, I'm pretty excited to just be part of the jazz organization. Tony Jones, the athletic. Eric, you had a, um, you know, a terrific rookie season, obviously all rookie and, you know, you had some setbacks, um, last, last season, what have you learned good and bad from each of the experience? Because your two NBA seasons have both been kind of, I don't want to say polar opposites of each other, but they've kind of gone differently. Uh, you got to just uh, work every year. I mean, again, it's, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of what um, the NBA is about. You have to keep uh, solidifying yourself in this league and keep making sure that you are um, – playing. So again, uh, you just got to keep working and keep uh, solidifying yourself every year. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Eric, what do you know about Utah? What's Donovan told you about the team and then kind of what do you expect in that sense? Uh, I would say uh, be ready to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, I already know they they put them up. So I'm excited and uh, I've been working on my three all summer. So uh, all I know is you you have to be ready to play uh, shoot threes, but it also kind of reminds me of uh, me and my college days of Villanova. I mean, Coach Wright used to teach us catch the shoot, and the year we won the championship, I think we set like the the record for the most threes like in an NCAA season. So um, I'm pretty excited, and I'm pretty uh, again. I, I know what I'm getting into, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Nio Campbell, UtahJazz.com. Hey, Eric, um, welcome. Uh, you've mentioned a lot about, you know, just being excited to come out here, but I really want to know what excites you the most. Is it the relationships? Is it uh, the fan base or just kind of what your role will be? What excites you the most? Uh, probably just the start of a new, you know what I'm saying, new journey. I mean, again, everybody has their journey and uh, the fact that I get to get a fresh start with a new team is uh, it's a great feeling. So that I feel like that's something I'm very uh, excited about. All right, we have a follow-up from Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, I presume Quinn's talked to you. What was that kind of conversation like? What did he tell you and kind of what do you envision your role will be on next year's team? Uh, we talked a lot. I mean, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, we just had great conversations. Just He's trying to just get to know me and, uh, again, just having non-basketball conversations just to build a relationship. All right, and another follow-up from Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Eric, obviously, uh, like Tony said, you had a great rookie season and then things seemed to teeter off a little bit last season. Where were, how do you view last season kind of in the realm of your development and as you're progressing? Um, again, probably something that's just like 
nothing's going to be easy. I mean, there's going to be setbacks. You can't just have a perfect career. And again, you're going to go through obstacles. So that's something that I, uh, I've learned from it. And I just going to continue to learn from Ryan McDonald, Deseret news. Eric, this might be common knowledge, but I don't know for sure. And I just want to clarify. So you and Donovan, were you guys friends before the AAU stuff? Like when you were younger than 13, 14, or is that yeah, when it like, started? No, like I, I've known Don since I was probably like six, seven. Like he grew up right down the street and I've known him. We went to the same church and I, we've been playing AAU since we were eight together with Riverside church. So, I mean, our Riverside church team, it was me, him, uh, Ty Jerome, who played for, who plays for the Thunder now. So, and his, Ty Jerome's dad was the coach. So me and Don have known each other for pretty much our whole lives. Gotcha. Thanks. Uh, ben Anderson, KSL Sports. Eric, I know in Golden State, uh, Steve liked to play a lot of small lineups and got used to playing Draymond at the five. Jazz needs some more positional versatility. So how many positions are you comfortable playing on the floor? Uh, I mean, whatever puts me on the floor, to be real. I mean, uh, I'll try to adjust that however I can. Uh, probably three positions for sure. But, again, you just I'm just trying to fit in and find way on the floor. So every way I could do that, uh, I'll, I'll play that position. All right, we have a follow-up from Jim Conlon out of Ireland. Uh, hi, Eric. I'm just wondering, uh, you went in 2019 in the 41st pick of the NBA draft, and do you feel motivated by that? Do you feel that you should have gone a lot higher up the draft class? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it, not really. I mean, again, you got you to gotta still play, and that's where you, no matter where you get drafted, you still got to produce somehow and find a way on the floor. I mean, Jokic was drafted 41st as well. So it's like, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me. You got to find a way on the floor and you got to play. So it doesn't, doesn't really bother me at all. There's one of the new jazz man, Eric Pascal. When we come back, got more for you. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Time to talk with Jeff Garcia about Rudy Gay, new jazz man. Jeff Covers the Spurs, digital journalist for KNS5 and host of Locked On Sports. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Well, how well Jazz fans are doing depends on how well the team is doing. So I guess really it comes down to how how big an impact is Rudy Gay going to have? How much does he have left in the tank? What do you think of the Jazz getting him? Uh, you know, you. I think the Jazz are getting a very uh, productive player that is going to provide some punch off that bench or whatever role he's going to get. You look at what he did in San Antonio. It wasn't too shabby at all in his time with uh, the Silver and Black. 
close to about 12 points per game, 5.6 rebounds uh, in his first stint. And what I liked about him, though, was the fact that, at least in San Antonio, he was willing to adjust his role. And I think that's what you're going to get in Utah. I'll give you an example. And we came to San Antonio, you know, the Spurs, you know, they were still kind of up there. They weren't in the complete rebuild yet. You know, it was getting to that point. But when the Kawhi Leonard, you know, debacle happened in San Antonio, you saw Gay transform himself from what was supposed to be, you know, a key player moving forward in the Spurs push for a playoff run into a mentor. And um, he, he embraced it. And he decided to take a backseat to the young guys but still was able to provide a punch off that bench. He, uh, in the play-in tournament last season, uh, he was the one that led the Spurs in scoring. It wasn't the young guys. It wasn't DeJounte Murray or DeMar DeRozan. It was Rudy Gay. So in a crunch time, very all-or-nothing game, like the play-in game was versus Memphis for San Antonio, he's delivered. And I think that's exactly what the uh, Jazz are going to get. A pro, a guy who's been there, done that, who understands that, yeah, okay, he's not maybe Sacramento Kings' Rudy Gay or Memphis Grizzlies' Rudy Gay, but he's still going to provide uh, Utah with offense and defense. He played the five a few times in San Antonio, which is good. Um, you know, he, he accepted it, I mean, undersized five, but should that be a need in Utah, he can play it, gentlemen. So what I find interesting, three-point shooting, as you know, has really taken over the league. It's so dominant, and particularly with the Jazz, yeah. they've got no problem. In fact, encourage guys to take it. And so he starts off in 2017, 18, 31 years of age, uh, first year with the Spurs, I think it was. He goes 30, uh, 31% from three. Then the next year he goes 40%. Then the third year he's back down to 33%. And then last year he bumps it back up to 38%. That's a wide yeah. variance there. It's like every other year he's pretty good. Uh, what do you attribute that to, and is there any concern yeah. there? Uh, no, I don't think there's any concern. I think I attribute that up and down thing just simply because of the makeup of the team. You know, it goes from, you know, having Kawhi Leonard when he was with him, you know, uh, and, you know, maybe shots are not going to him, to, okay, you know, we're in this rebuild mode. You know, you hear some more shots for you, uh, Rudy Gay. You know, we need this, you know, and here you go. And then last season, you know, he was, you know, for the Spurs standards, one of the better shooting uh, three-point shooters for uh, the team. Spurs were dead last, and this is just an attempt, an attempt, just attempts, gentlemen. Uh, three-point shots, they were just dead last, and the Spurs were just, yeah, they were not the greatest one. Nobody was inviting the Spurs to the three-point shootout, I can tell you that much. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I think he fell victim to that. You also look at Popovich. You know, it's, it's funny to see him, how he evolves. He literally went, and not too long ago, maybe about two, three years ago, to, to hating the three-point shot to now needing it um, and, and admitting it like, yeah, you know, NBA now is, you know, live and die by that three. And, um, and I think also that too had to do with just his role. He was, he was he, you know, sometimes he was given minutes, but then other times it wasn't because they wanted to give it uh, to the young guys that were going to eventually take the keys for San Antonio, as we'll see next season. Because of the fact there was a pandemic season, you know, that cut into his shots, and then you know, fast forward to that bubble season, you know, out in Orlando, you know, again, the, guy, the young guys were put front and center. And I think that has a lot to do with his erratic shooting, uh, just because the Spurs are in flux, and it impacted him. So, you know, not, you know for what he did in San Antonio, not bad, coming off that, uh, that Achilles injury that he, he suffered, you know, resurrected his career in San Antonio when many thought it was all but done after that devastating injury. And look, 
it's coming from a system that is well established. There's ties between Utah and San Antonio. There's Quinn Snyder, Popovich. Now, Snyder was the Austin Spurs coach for a long time. He understands that Spurs system. And now Snyder's bringing in a guy who lived it for X amount of seasons in San Antonio, and that's really going to be a nice injection of professionalism, what it takes to be a winning team, uh, and, and then some, because Jazz are already a winning team. They're, they're great. But now you throw in a guy who, who lived you know the Popovich last nighter, you know, vibe. You know that 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 game plan. I think it's going to bode well for Utah. And I think at the end of the day, next season, people are going to look back and look at that Rudy Gay pickup and say, you know what, that was such a slick pickup by the Jazz. So the problem for the Jazz against the Clippers at the end of the series, they just couldn't stay in front of them. Rudy Gay yeah. talked about being able to defend positions. How many def- how many positions can he defend? How many guys can yeah. he stay in front of? I think he can go from the the three to five position. You know, and those are probably the best ones at five. You know, I mean, he's going to be undersized, but again, in San Antonio, he was forced to do it because of the fact that the Spurs simply didn't have that much depth at the five spot. It was just. Yaka Pirtle, and that was pretty much it because after the LMA, LaMarcus Aldridge you know, uh, left San Antonio they became very thin in that department it was just Pirtle uh, undersized Drew Eubanks and an unproven uh, young guy, Lucas Ominich and that was it, so the Spurs were forced to go to Gay a lot at that position, so he definitely can play it and he'll defend it to the best of his ability and of course, you know, the three and the four spot you know, natural, you know, I think he, he's capable of doing that you know, look, you're, you, you're learning how to play defense from a defensive-minded coach like Greg Popovich. That is going to translate well into uh, Utah. Pop has taken guys that normally don't have the reputation of being a good defender and made them decent, you know, <laughs> at least decent to get to that level. There's Brent Forbes, you know, not the greatest defender, but in his time in San Antonio, he made them decent. Same thing with DeMar DeRozan, you know, came into San Antonio with not that reputation, but made him a decent defender. So... You're going to translate that from the Popovich system into the Quinn Snyder system. Uh, yeah, between the three and the five, I think you're all going to be all right. How much do you think that he's going to be better or fit in well simply because the talent around him yeah. is better than what the Spurs can offer at this time? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's going to be the wild card for uh, Rudy Gay. I think you're going to see him perhaps produce more uh, and be more of an impact player than he was in San Antonio. As I mentioned earlier, San Antonio was, is in transition, and the Spurs you know, used them for that transition, and that was being the mentor. You know, he didn't, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't come into San Antonio years ago signing with them to think, I'm going to be a mentor at the end of my stay here. No, he was to be an impact player. So that is going to revive him. Uh, you know, he's surrounded by, you know, great players from Donovan Mitchell, that drive and kick out, I think it's going to be great for him. You have a, a, a guy that can still attack the rim. Uh, he, last season in San Antonio wasn't, you know, too surprising to see him just light up the scoreboard and bring the people off their seats with some highlight dunks and great defensive stops. I, I really believe that culture in Utah of winning and getting to the promised land, that being the last team standing, is going to do well for him. Um, you know, that's the last thing that's missing on his resume. He's been an all-star. He's got he's been scoring left and right since he entered the NBA. So that's the last thing on him, and I think that's going to rejuvenate him and make a chase for the uh, NBA uh, title 
And, yeah, I mean, what better way to do that than a, than a team like Utah that's ready-made for a deep push into the postseason? Jeff Garcia joining us, works for KNS5 and host of Locked on Spurs, talking about Rudy Gay, who's been in San Antonio for the past uh, four seasons, now moving to the Utah Jazz. Uh, he's moving on a three-year deal. So if they win a championship or one, no one cares if he's overpaid years two and three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But just kind of based on his career arc, I realized, you know, in your mid-30s, father time can catch you at any time. But what would you think of the length of the deal? Uh, you know... I, I thought it was a little long. I, I thought it'd be a two, a two at max, uh, but three going into, well, uh, I guess, quote unquote, his prime. You know, you never know. You know, these players nowadays, technology and medicine extend their primes. But you, know, you factor in his age, you factor in that he's not that explosive player as we saw pre injury. And I thought it was a little too long. I, I think I would have gone with maybe a two plus team option, maybe. I think that would have been the smarter uh, route to go. But hey, look, you know, you know, worst case scenario, worst worst case scenario, you know, if there's a deal to be made, you have a guy, a veteran uh, that you can move. It sounds like a team friendly deal as far as um, cap space. You know, you need to break the bank on him, so that's good. And all in all, I think um, I really believe that Rudy Gay with Utah is going to be one of those under the radar moves. I really believe that. You know, he's going to be surrounded by that, that winning culture, as I mentioned. You know, the, the Quinn Snyder, Popovich there, it's going to be seamless. And I think it'll be money well spent for Utah because last season you saw sometimes they struggled. And um, whether it be inexperienced or just young, you know, what have you. But you pair him there with Mitchell. You pair him there with Gobert. Now Gobert has a legit 3-4 guy he can just go to, an athletic one, at least at his age, quote-unquote, you know, at 30-plus that can really help them in the paint offensively. So all in all, good move by Utah. Deal was a little too long, but I, I think it'll pan out. One of the uh, as- aspects of a Quinn Snyder's offense, you know, we talked about the three and shooting it, but the ball's got to move, and it can't stick. You don't have a lot of individual yeah. dribbling. Mitchell does it to an extent. Jordan Clarkson does it probably more to an extent. But other than that, the ball is constantly moving. How's Gay's ability to anticipate the pass and the ability yeah. to make the pass? Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a top notch. You know, you, you look at what he uh, had to deal with in San Antonio. Uh, up and coming guard, Jonte Murray, you know, pinpoint passing to Martin Rosen. You know, he was the leading uh, facilitator for San Antonio last season. Uh, so you look at that, you know, always uh, head on a swivel, ready to catch. And he's a pro, you know, he, he's been there, done that. He, he exactly knows to anticipate passes, you know, out of the passing lanes. And he's going to get that, whether it be from Clarkson or, or, or Mitchell or Conley. You know, I, I think that will mesh well. And I think the Utah Jazz fans have nothing to worry about when it comes to that aspect of his game. Now, you know, you, you know, again, it could be a product of the fact that the Spurs were simply in transition. But, you know, last season in San Antonio, there was some erratic play. There was, you know, sometimes he looked like, great, you know, he could be the next six-man of, of the year award winner off coming off that bench for San Antonio. But at the same time, he was also injected into the starting lineup a few times last season for the uh, Spurs. So, you know, that simply could be, you know, lineup shuffling, could attest why he was a little inconsistent at times. But, look, you know, despite the fact that Spurs had a lot of young guys and the youth movement is now officially on, even though it was started last season, Spurs fans, um, you know, at times were crying, um, 
bad tears because they did not want to see him on the court. They wanted the young guys to get the run, but he got that run last year. So he's not coming in rusty. He's not coming in, you know, barely played any games. He got a good chunk of games under his belt last season, despite the fact that the Spurs were in rebuild mode. So you couple that with the fact that he's likely going to see a spike in minutes, more playing time off that bench for Quinn. Uh, yeah, I mean, great, great, great signing. I think Jazz fans will be excited for him. So with the Spurs being in full rebuild mode, as you say, and obviously they are, they've got Greg Popovich at 72 years of age. When is he going to step aside and let Becky Hammond be the coach? You know, that is a million-dollar question right now uh, in San Antonio and pretty much throughout the NBA. You know, what is next for Pop? You know, he just capped off the missing piece to his resume, which is the Olympic gold. So that's a big check mark. You know, he's done everything you can imagine in the NBA level and even international level. We look at his influence with international coaches. So it's like, what next, Pop? Not many uh, coaches last past 70. Um, I think Jerry Sloan was the last one to really push uh, kind of a 70 push into the 70s before he called it a day. You, you, know, you look at the franchise history, and sure, losing Kawhi Leonard, losing David Robinson in retirement, and, and, and Timmy and Manu and Tony, that hurts. But I think when Pop does call it a day, that is going to be a real big hit to the franchise um, because who fills in those shoes? Do they stay in-house and you know, promote Becky, you know, which seems to be the logical choice? Or do they go out of house, out of the family, and bring somebody in? My point is, is that there's going to be a big regime change as far as that sideline patrolling is concerned. It's starting with the roster. I mean, I mean, all signs are pointing there in the rebuild mode when you draft Josh Primo at number 12 when leaving everybody's mouth and jaw just drop as why. And, well, then you find out because they are in rebuild mode. And... You look at Popovich and you think, you got, this got to be it. Either it's this season or next season. Look, I mean, he, he, you know, he still has left, plenty left in the tank physically. I don't know if you all saw the video of Draymond Green shot uh, after they won gold. He was showing Draymond how to lock up defensively in the hotel, which yeah. was hilarious if you have not seen it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think like, he probably doesn't want to leave the, the Spurs family until he feels it's ready. But with them in full-on rebuild use moving mode, you know, how much more does he have? Does it give it one more year, which would be this upcoming year? Would I be surprised if before the start of the season he announces this is it for him or, you know, one more season and we're done or no more, I did my Olympics and, you know, good luck to the next guy or girl? I would not be surprised. But one thing's for sure, they're not going to usher him out. We'll uh, you know, prematurely. They'll go when Pop says he's ready to go. And from the looks of it, it looks like maybe he has one more season in him. But you look at what he said so far, he said that he will leave when Tim Duncan exits. That didn't happen. He said that he will leave when his big three, got, uh, you know, all retired. That didn't happen. He said that he will leave to honor LaMarcus Aldridge's time with him when he signed with San Antonio. That didn't happen because LMA is no longer a spur. So you see a pattern here. He's just not ready to let it go and would not be surprised if he comes back and says, yeah, I'm going to give it one more year. Well, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the air with us and uh, telling folks about Rudy Gay. Yes, sir. Anytime. Thank you very much. There's Jeff Garcia, San Antonio Spurs digital journalist for KNS 5 and host of Locked on Spurs. When we come back, what is going on at Arizona State University? First, the tight ends coach suspended. Then two more coaches sidelined. 
three coaches out, how much is it going to impact this year's team? How much is it going to impact recruiting? When you get to signing day in December, how big a setback is this going to be for the Sun Devils? We'll talk with Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. He joins PKNI next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Doug, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. How good a morning is it for Arizona State football? How are they handling the, uh, the headlines that started with a dribble and are picking up speed? Um, well, I mean, publicly they're, you know, saying business as usual. I mean, we haven't had a chance to to talk with them since, uh, the news that they had placed two more assistant coaches on leave. Uh, but, you know, at Pac-12 Media Day, the first day of practice from Edwards was asked specifically about, you know, whether this could become a distraction. And he said no, uh, but it is getting harder to believe that because now they're down three assistant coaches, um, just with all the maneuvering that they're doing to fill those spots, that, that affects four position groups, uh, about 40 players. And, you know, and, and people have told me, like, well, players don't care. You know, all they want to do is, is go out there and, and compete. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, you know, they're, they're probably the closest people they are to in the program are their position coach. And, you know, a lot of times those guys recruited them. Uh, and now you bring someone else in. And even if they've been, uh, you know, in the meetings and all that, it's, a different person it's different language uh, you know and it takes a, it's a different relationship it takes some adjustment so um not ideal to be you know three weeks before the home opener and, and having lost 30 percent of your staff for sure so as i understand all this stuff that has gone on is basically somebody ratted them out and i know you don't want to say but the idea being the the coach who didn't get the o-line job and so forth and so you got all that so the thing that I haven't been able to figure it out is how much did Herm Edwards know? Well, for your first point, uh, you know, I know a lot of the, the, the fan speculation has pointed at Kevin Moai, the coach who didn't get the offensive line job. I'm not, I'm not positive that that's the case. Um, you know, Kevin and Herm go back, you know, years. They yeah. played, Herm coached him with the Jets. And, uh, so, you know, I'm not sure about that. Um, how much did Herm know? Uh, you know, based on my reporting, um, you know, and I'm, it comes down to who you trust in the situation because uh, you talk to a lot of people, and sometimes you find out that the people you're talking to are just, you know, they're just repeating things that they heard from someone else who heard them from someone else. <laughs> but uh, I have heard that, you know, Herm was, uh, I have been told by people that I, tr- that I trust that, um, you know, he was aware that they were having some uh, prospects on campus during the non-contact COVID period. Uh, I don't know how many. Uh, I don't know if it's three, four, five. I don't know if it's uh, a dozen or more. 
Um, but, I mean, it, it does seem like that Herm kind of delegated a lot of his recruiting duties to the recruiting coordinator, Antonio Pierce, um, and then just kind of, um, you know, was ready that when Antonio needed him to talk to somebody that, you know, based on what I've been told, uh, that that was the case. Now, it's only one side of the story. Uh, Arizona State has not uh, responded publicly, not talked publicly, publicly, and, you know, just as a reminder, these things are just allegations, and, uh, you know, the NCAA will have to prove them uh, before, NC, before Arizona State might get punished for them. So while obviously a lot of the impact people are wondering about is the impact on this year, how much is this going to impact recruiting going forward? I mean, this is three guys off the recruiting trail who all have high schools assigned to them in-state, although they don't get that many in-state guys, but they're also presumably taking trips when the NCAA allows it to uh, Southern California and to Texas and wherever else they're trying to recruit guys. It seems like losing three assistants on the recruiting trail is a massive hit. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Uh, you know, Arizona State has a lot of talent and a lot of start returning uh, starters in place for this year. But, you know, a lot of times these things really don't impact the program significantly until later. Um, you know, Air- Herm Edwards made some coaching changes uh, a couple years ago. And what he did is he got rid of three guys. and He really went younger. He hired three young kids. Well, I don't want to say kids. Three young men, um, all under the age of 30. And the main reason was, uh, you know, a lot of these guys didn't have really any recruiting experience. I'm sorry, uh, coaching experience. And the main reason was for recruiting. And it worked. I mean, these three guys, Chris Hawkins, Prince Gill, and Adam Brenneman, the three guys on leave were, uh, you know, they're, they're three main recruiters. I mean, they're related to kids really well. Um, you know, Chris Hawkins, if you use the rankings uh, used by 24-7 Sports, is one of the best recruiters in the Pac-12. Um, he and Prentice Gill, um, you know, teamed up to bring in uh, their top recruit of their 2022 class. You know, who hasn't signed yet? He's just committed, but those were he, they were the two lead recruiters on him. And so you wonder now, uh, you know, what effect that'll have on the 2022 class and moving forward. If you know they've already lost one commitment, so uh, that, that's a real concern because you know. Usually when there's a disruption like that uh, in the recruiting, you know, prospects tend to look elsewhere. So as far as the immediate future, uh, uh, these decisions to basically suspend these three guys, I assume that was Ray Anderson along with the president, Dr. Crow, calling and saying to Herm, this is what we need to do in the short term. And I view it as sort of plugging the dam, so to speak. But the thought is that, okay, where does this end? Not from the NCA perspective, because that'll run its course as it takes its time to get to that point, whenever that might be. But from the ASU perspective, where does this end in the immediacy? Well, from what I've been told, this is all um, coming from Michael Crow, the school president, uh, So, which is not unusual for him uh, in the past since he's been at Arizona State. Uh, you know, whenever there's issues with NCAA, uh, he gets involved. And, you know, to me, this seems like Arizona State is trying to, you know, from what's been reported, I have not seen the content of this package that was sent to ASU compliance and that is now in the hands of the NCAA. I have not seen the content of that uh, a national reporter has. And, you know, it seems like there's some pretty uh, – potentially damaging information in that. And 
the most significant of that information uh, seemed to deal with the three assistants who are now on leave. So it seems like Arizona State is trying to get out ahead of this, which is not uncommon. You know, in basketball, sometimes we see schools who are under the NCAA microscope, they kind of self-impose a tournament ban or something similar just to kind of hopefully when the NCAA makes a ruling, they might, you know, show a little, you know, it's just maybe go a little bit lenient, more lenient than what they would have if they had not self-imposed the penalties. So it seems to me that Arizona State is in that phase right now, that they are that they realize that, you know, they did some things that they shouldn't have, and they're trying to get out in front of it a little bit. If there are additional moves, I don't know what they would be. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation around Antonio Pierce, recruiting coordinator, and whether it's believable that the three youngest guys on staff orchestrated this all by themselves. But, um, you know, Antonio Pierce is higher up the line, and, you know, he's really connected to, you know, he was – Herm Edwards is grooming him to be the next head coach at Arizona State. So, you know, I don't know. If they would lose him, then that would really, uh, really affect the entire operation. But, you know, whether it gets to that point, I, I don't know. So in the meantime, are the players just uh, shaking this all off and doing their thing? They've got their NFL dreams and their conference title dreams and all that kind of stuff. Is it really cause that big a ripple right now? Well, I mean, you know how players are. They're pretty resilient, um, you know, and – it, you know, they're going to take an us-against-the-world mentality, which I think makes sense for them. Uh, you know, this is a lot of – I mean, they, they didn't do any of this stuff. Um, you know, one of the players at Pac-12 Media Day did say something I thought was really interesting. He said that uh, it was Chase Lucas, their cornerback, all-conference quarterback, and he was there with Jaden Daniels, their quarterback, and he said that they had been talking while they were there in Los Angeles that, you know, if Arizona State doesn't win the Pac-12 this year, they're never going to win it. So – um, I thought that was interesting, and I thought maybe he was foreshadowing a little bit about where this might go. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're a talented group. I mean, just through the first week of practice, the defense, which returns all 11 starters, has looked outstanding. Now, granted, no one's in pads or anything, so, I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, they, they have a lot of experience, a lot of guys, a lot of three- and four-year starters, and, and they've looked apart so far. Um, they have, a, you know, four returning starters on the offensive line and one of the better quarterbacks in the conference and two good running backs. So they have a lot of pieces, so it could be a situation if they come out and, you know, get off to a good start. You know how these things work. Uh, you know, the noise around the program kind of turns into excitement about, you know, how the team is playing. So I would say that would probably be, be the best-case scenario for them. So we all know, Doug, when Herm got hired, that it was a controversial hire, and he didn't even know the school's nickname and all that stuff. Uh, and we all remember that. He was lambasted. And now it seems like, well, he's gotten a lot of praise. You strip away, at, they're 15 and 13, I think, uh, under his reign against Division One opponents and a couple of uh, big sky wins. You th- sort of throw them out. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm wondering, and he's kept a lot of games close, and that's the big thing where they only lose by one score, but the style of football that they play would dictate, by and large, that the game be close. But I'm wondering if you view, and people in the Valley view this as sort of a make or break, not necessarily a make or break, but he's got to have a breakout season this year. No, I mean, everything, this is his fourth year, and everything is kind of shaped into, I mean, everything is pointed to this year being the year that they really kind of make that huge step and, and contend instead of, you know, just finishing with, you know, seven-win regular season, maybe an eighth win in a, during the, you can get an eighth win in the bowl. So, yeah, I, I think people have been waiting, and, 
you know, Todd Graham, who was here before Hearn, was, was very popular with the fan base. So, you know, when, when Hearn took over, it, it took him a while to kind of win over the fan base. He did. Um, if you've ever been around Herm Edwards, he's about as likable guy as you will find. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think people bought into it really quickly and were, they were willing to give, you know, to wait, you know, see where this goes. Recruiting picked up. Uh, but now, yeah, there's there's no question. Uh, when they brought in Jaden Daniels as their quarterback, this was the year they kind of circled to say, like, this, all right, we could take a big step. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's time. It, it, it is time. I've said before that Arizona State is always next next season university. It, it always seems like, like, okay, we'll be okay this year, but next year is our year. Um, I've covered this program for uh, over 10 years now, and it seems like that's always, <laughs> always what people are saying about Arizona State. So that time is here. Uh, and if you're an Arizona State fan, it's unfortunate that that time has come and you're in the middle of an NCAA investigation that's affected your program. But, um, you know, it, they have everything in place, seem to have everything in place. They're not the only school that, that has a lot of talent, a lot of returning t- uh, starters. But uh, I would say on paper, Arizona State looks to be in its, the best position it's been to contend in the Pac-12, and I've seen it in a while. Doug Haller joining us, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. Uh, are they worried at all about the youths there? Are they worried about uh, USC? They're just worried about themselves. <laughs> I think they are worried about themselves. Uh, anybody who's not worried about Utah uh, is a fool, in my opinion, uh, because they, Kyle Winningham, um, one of the more underrated coaches in the country, always has his team uh, in position to play, and he, it's always a bad matchup, it seems, for Arizona State. And, of course, USC always has talent. It just seems like there's just something missing to bring that all together. So, yeah, I, I would say that those two schools would be the ones those, – those, those, they would be the ones I would worry about. And, you know, I think everyone's always kind of wondering if Chip Kelly is going to get it together or if this is the year that Chip Kelly gets it together. So, yeah, I would put USC and, and Utah at the top of my list for sure. So I saw you had a piece on trying to keep kids in state, and I grew up in Arizona, and I'm well aware of that. And I can sort of live with a quarterback from Arizona in the Valley going to Oregon, going to USC, going to Ohio State, going to Oklahoma, going to Ohio State. But, Doug, I cannot live with a quarterback from the Valley going to West Virginia. That's out of it. That's over the top for me, and I've had enough of that. And I don't think that it's going to change. And my number one thing is, I think the kids are just tired of how hot it is and they want to try something else. But losing a quarterback to West Virginia, that's got to be the topper. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was interesting. The story that you're talking about is something that we at the Athletic we've done through uh, several states is we just contact coaches in the state and ask them a series of questions, uh, and they're able to speak anonymously so they can be honest. Um, just about how their programs are recruited in-state, out-of-state, uh, what works, what doesn't, and you know the Arizona narrative for a long time has been that they can't keep the top talent in their backyards. And the interesting part about that in relation to Arizona State is that you know the coaches I've talked to, I talked to eight, pretty much said that you know Arizona State when when Herm first got there uh, was really active, uh, trying to build relationships, and when it didn't immediately pay off, they just kind of shifted gears and directed their attention elsewhere, which, you know, players are players, talent is talent. Uh, you know, people have different opinions on that. But when, you know, one coach pointed out that, you know, Arizona, the state of Arizona could have, you know, possibly three guys in, in New York for, as Heisman finalists this year, 
um, you know, it's it's kind of a bad look. I mean, people have pride, and you know, it's always weird to see you know your best players going and, and leading other countries to, or I'm sorry, other schools to the college football playoffs. So, um, it, definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, that, that's been something that I think not only you know I was talking to Dennis Erickson a, a few months ago, and you know he, he mentioned that he said that you know Arizona always had trouble. And I think you're right. I think the Heat has a big <laughs> is a big factor because. Uh, you know, practicing at this time of year in, you know, 108, 109 degree heat is not fun for anybody. Anybody at Arizona State offering up any opinions on what the conference ought to do with realignment looming? Not really. Uh, I mean, there's been so much. I mean, to be honest, I think that question's only been asked once. Um, I haven't seen, you know, Ray Anderson was at media day and I requested to talk to him. Uh, the athletic director and uh, was told he wanted to keep the focus on the on the new commissioner and everything. So I mean, you know, not not a lot of people are making themselves available right now uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I, I just think everyone's just kind of focused on, you know, just the season and and just you know trying to see what's next and get through this uh, the best they can. Yeah, we were down there broadcasting up on the twelfth uh, floor. Uh, we always go down for media day and. And I have a mutual friend with uh, Ray Anderson. And I went up and said hello to him, and I think he was reluctant to say hi back. He seemed to be a little bit, uh, a little bit edgy when I approached him. I'm wondering, you know, he's the Herm is his hire, and there was some basketball issue with a booster or something, and Bobby Hurley's wife got involved and all that stuff. I you probably know the details more than I do, but the point being for you, uh, what is the level of confidence in Ray Anderson being able to stay on the job at ASU? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, Ray is not only well respected uh, at Arizona State, but he is well respected within the conference. Um, you know, he's played a major role in certain things um, throughout the years. However, I mean, you're right. Bringing on her, I think, somehow connected those two uh, because it was such an outside the box hire. And, you know, I think. You know, and then Ray is really, you know, Michael Crow is also, I think all three of them are connected. I don't think, you know, I'm not suggesting that this could pull all three of them down. That's not the case. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not it's not a good time for him. And a lot of people are just wondering who all who all knew about this. Uh, you know, and, and we've reported that at least, you know, the number two guy in command in the athletic department, Gene Boyd, was aware, uh, or at least made aware that there might be some shadiness going on in the football in the football coaching offices. So um, I don't know how much that protects Ray or how much that protects Herm. I don't know, but you know, it seems like to me just starting off uh, by you know starting at the lower levels and getting rid of three of the lower guys on on you know on the on the staff coaching chart. Um, you know, they're they're working from the bottom up. I, I, you know, I'm not suggesting it'll get to as high as even Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator. But you know, I think it's it's not an interesting strategy. I think it was probably the strategy that everyone guessed they would go. Uh, but you know, people do have some questions about Ray. You know, especially with Herm being his guy, and then you mentioned the the booster and the and, the, and Bobby Hurley's wife. Um, you know, and how he handled that wasn't probably the best. So uh, it's been it's definitely been an interesting couple of years here. Well, Doug, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the season getting started. There's Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up.